Um, well, it's so, so wonderful um, to be with you all here uh, this morning and just it's an absolute joy to be able to share with you um, in this first session and we're going to explore um, this theme today of Come With Me and I want to look at it um, in two parts. Firstly, Jesus' invitation to us um, as he says to us, come with me, um, our journey and the call on our lives to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a learner of him, to be a follower um, of him. And then I want to look a little bit, um, I guess, at our invitation to others, us extending it to other people, for them to come with us, that they might see something of Jesus in our lives that they can learn from um, and that they can grow from. And both of these parts, both of these calls go hand in hand to make up that whole picture of discipleship and we are called um, to engage um, in both. But just to begin with, um, I just want to share a little bit um, about um, my journey and I guess um, share a bit of my heart um, about the journey that God has been taking me on over the last couple of years, um, especially in relation to discipleship and the discipleship of women. Um, now, Bill Hybels talks about this idea of holy discontent. And holy discontent is a dissatisfaction given from God um, and a desire to see something changed. And often, um, our vision for the future is birthed out of um, this holy discontent that is, that is given from God. And for me, um, one of, I guess, the biggest areas of holy discontent um, that God has been leading me on is the lack of, I guess, female discipleship and leadership in our churches today. Now, I realise that that might be due to a number of different social, historical, theological uh, positions um, on the role of women, and we're not going to go into that today. Um, but I think we would all agree, despite any differences, that there is this universal call on our lives, given to us by Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations and that he has sent his Holy Spirit um, to empower us to do that mission. Um, and so for me, my desire has been to see a greater intentionality grow within the church um, to disciple women and to see that, um, that cultures would develop and grow in church where women are confident in their discipleship of others. Um, now, for some of us here today, that may, may not be our experience. And I just want to acknowledge that. We might be in churches today where they do that really, really well. And I just want to say let's celebrate that and that, that is a really good thing. Um, and I hope today for you, um, it can just, today can just deepen and build on that positive experience that you've had. Um, but for some of us, we might be sitting here this morning and it's kind of like we've, we've felt the pinch of that lack of discipleship and leadership in our churches of women. Um, and for us, it might have been difficult to identify women um, in our journey and who we can learn from. Um, it's not saying that they're not there in our churches, but it might just be that we've been in cultures and environments um, where that potential hasn't been highlighted. Um, and as a result, we might be sitting here today feeling a little bit unsure um, of how we can, in fact, disciple others because it hasn't been modelled to us. Um, but this morning, whether you've had a positive experience of this, um, whether you've had a not-so-positive one, whether you've had a little bit of both, um, I really believe that the Spirit of God just wants to speak afresh into our discipleship journey, into that journey that we have with Jesus, 
um, and to build our confidence and our faith as we disciple other women um, in that. So, um, first we're going to have a look at Jesus' invitation to us um, to come with me. So, um, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 30, um, we're just going to read that together now. So, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 30. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, when you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Well, those are some nice, light-hearted words from Jesus for us on a Saturday morning. Um, but they're quite confronting words from Jesus, aren't they? Um, And it's one of those passages that when you read, you can't help but squirm um, a little bit inside. Um, And I was a little bit scared, to be honest, when Jesus led me to this passage to to preach on today. And I was like, really, Jesus, are we going to go there? Um, I'm like, it doesn't really seem like a passage you'd have a a women's gathering, does it? But I think that's okay. Maybe that's not a bad thing. Um, But when I read this passage... Um, There was one incredibly important and sometimes forgotten truth that just hit me smack bang in the face. And it's this. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is a call that requires us to be all in. Jesus wants our entire selves. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't saying, Emma, you're not a true disciple of me because you don't hate your husband, Andrew. Um, But he is saying, even the things that you hold dearest to you, like your family, like your own life, Would you be willing to give it all to me for the sake of this call to be a disciple of Jesus? Is the love that you have for all of these things, even your own life, secondary to the love that you have for me? And remember, the disciples did, lots of them lose their life for the cost of this discipleship journey. So Jesus here is speaking about priority. Being a disciple of Jesus is our number one priority. He wants our entire selves. And the Lord reminded me um, just last week, actually, of these words in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 29, where he says, I will give them singleness of heart and action. And he said to me, Emma, I want your undivided heart. I want your undivided heart. I want you to serve me as your master. I don't want you to serve two masters. I want your undivided heart. And in verse 27, 
It says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And so what does Jesus mean here when he is using that language of carrying their cross? Um, Carrying our cross here isn't a redemptive act. It's not talking about salvation. Um, We know that we receive salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ and through um, his resurrection. But actually, carrying our cross in this passage is a discipleship act. Um, Jesus showed us that ultimate cost of discipleship um, by losing his life, following the will of the Father. Um, Philippians 2 verse 8 says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So carrying uh, carrying our cross is humbling ourselves to the will of God, no matter the cost. Humbling ourselves to serve the needs of others no matter the cost. Like Jesus humbled himself and served us and gave us that gift of grace by dying and going um, to the cross. And it's about abandoning all of our attachments to the world so that we can live more fully um, in this call of being a disciple of Jesus. And so the call to come with me, it's not this flowery, surface-level, easy invitation by Jesus, is it? It is a costly, radical, life-altering, but completely fulfilling call that Jesus gives on our life. Um, And the question we have to ask us again, and I have to ask myself again this morning, is are we all in? Are we all in on this journey? It's interesting thinking about the idea of the cost Um, in our society, isn't it? Um, We live in a place where I guess we can express um, our faith so freely and we have so many comforts um, around us. It's quite challenging to try and think about, well, what does the cost look like for us? But I just encourage you to think um, about this picture of a whirlpool. Now, a whirlpool is formed um, when you have two opposing currents that meet each other. And when those opposing currents meet each other, it creates this swell of water where things can't be helped but be drawn in. Um, And I would like to suggest that here in our world in Sydney, we are immersed in a really strong current. And that current is what the world tells us how we should live our lives. Um, And it's really easy to get taken into that current, isn't it? Because we're surrounded by it constantly. And so that current might be formed um, by ideas like being busy is the norm. Being busy is the norm. Um, And it shows your level of success. The more you do, the more you have on, that's good. You're busy. Being busy is the norm. It might also um, be formed by ideas like life security is crucial. Your life security and comfort is is really important. We need savings, we need good finances, we need clear plans for the future. We have insurance for everything and anything. Um, And so your security is of number one importance. Another idea that I think forms this current is being connected on a large scale, and I think we see that through the presence of social media, takes bigger value than being connected on a smaller scale going deep with people, investing deep in relationship. And I believe that when we are led by the Spirit of God and we are a discipleship of Jesus, we live our lives in such a way that it becomes like this opposing current to the one which we are in. 
And as that current meets the other one, people can't help but be drawn into that because there's something different about our lives. I think it was Jill last year, she said, our lives shouldn't make sense, really, to the people around us. People should be asking questions. We want values of the kingdom that define our life and, and not of this world. And so, you know, um, the current in which we follow in regards to being led by the Spirit, um, that would be formed by ideas like being radically generous to others is more important than our own security. Luke 9 verse 58 says, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Our God, the King of all creation, who made the foxes, who made the birds, gave them a home, yet for himself he had no place when he was here on earth to lay his head. Jesus was effectively homeless. That was one of the costs he bore um, as he followed the will of the Father. I think another um, thing that defines our current is like we have an ability to be, have our eyes on today, have our eyes on today, that we do not fret about the uncertainty of tomorrow because we have this faith that anchors us, that keeps us secure. And the other thing um, I think that would define this um, there's lots of things, but one other thing that came to mind was being busy doesn't take the place and the value of relationship. That relationship is of, of most important, and we see that in the way that Jesus lived. That extending our global connections and being well connected um, doesn't take the place of going deep and intentional with those who God puts um, in our path. And so as a disciple of Jesus, we will be living in this opposing current of the world where it creates a world where people cannot help um, but be drawn in. And so we have to ask, are we willing to bear the cost of doing that? Because there will be a cost. There will be a cost. We might have less financial security. We might need to make tough decisions about the relationships that we're in. And are they bringing us closer um, in that mission and that purpose of following Jesus? And it might, the cost also might be carrying the weight and the pain of those who you journey with and go deep with. Because there can be pain in those relationships too. But what we have to ask ourselves afresh is, are we willing to bear the cost? Are we willing to bear the cost? Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was in um, Indonesia for the Asia-Pacific Baptist Federation Congress. Um, and when I was there, um, I had an opportunity to go to a women's rally. And it was, it was a really special time. It was probably a, uh, a highlight for me. And during this time, I got to hear stories um, about women all over the Asia-Pacific um, who were radically following Jesus and, and bearing the cost of that. Um, and these women were from places like Nepal, Myanmar, they're locally in Indonesia, Korea. And for some of these women culturally, for the place that they were in, um, their voice was not valued. Um, they were subordinate to men. They, um, they were not empowered. And the opposition that they faced as they stepped into this discipleship journey was huge. Um, and I heard about this one woman who, um, her husband had died and she had become a widow. And in her society, that basically meant, meant that she um, lost her position in society. 
and I heard um, her story and it was basically the story of her standing against those cultural currents that she was in. Um, and the Lord actually led her um, to start an organisation um, that would empower and support other women who had lost uh, their husbands in that society. Um, and she, her whole life was basically focused on empowering women um, in that context, restoring their dig dignity um, in society. And I heard all of these um, different stories and I, I was inspired, but I was also really, really, really challenged just with the simple question of to what lengths would I go to in order to be obedient to Jesus, um, in order to go with Jesus and say yes, what lengths would I go to? In Luke chapter 14, verse 28 to 30, it says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. We want to be women who continue to build the tower, no matter the cost. Yeah? Um, and God reminded me of a truth that um, I believe can help inspire us to keep building and to remember that it is worth the cost. Um, and the truth is this, when it costs us, others will benefit from our sacrifice. When it costs us, others will benefit from our sacrifice. Teratulian, um, an early Christian author born in 155 AD, has this um, saying, recorded these words, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The cost that the disciples made, which was their life, meant the spread of the early church. You and I, we here today, have inherited the blessing of their sacrifice. And so that is the beauty of this twofold discipleship invitation that as we lay down our lives for each other and for Jesus, um, our discipleship of others is enriched and it is deepened. For me, I guess, um, what this has looked like, uh, I studied and worked in HR um, for some years. And um, when I was uh, in my second role in, in human resources, I started to feel a little bit um, unsettled uh, in that role. And I felt like um, God was just kind of birthing a new desire in my heart um, to go into pastoral ministry and to create more space um, in my week to focus on um, female discipleship and leadership in our church. Um, so I kind of hit this crossroads where um, I was either going to pour everything into my work in HR and have that as my place of ministry, um, which is a really, really good thing to do, or I was going to go down this, this track of pastoral ministry. Um, and for me, um, I felt God more leading me um, to just trust him and, and put that aside and to go down this new path. Um, and so when I decided to leave HR, I needed to get um, a part-time job. And a part-time job came up at Mauling College um, as a PA. And um, it's not like a glamorous PA role. Um, I don't know, has anyone ever seen Suits here? Yeah, so you think of Donna, 
Hey, like, works for Harvey Specter, and she has this awesome outfit, and it's just like, it's glamorous. This, yeah, this isn't a glamour, but be careful, because a lot of you would know who I work for, but this isn't a glamorous PA role. Um, and basically, it did involve um, some pretty menial administration tasks, like, um, like Beck knows what I'm talking about, like literally I would sit there and my boss would dictate his emails and then I would type them for him and send them. And so I kind of went from like feeling like really important in this corporate job in HR to sitting and like writing emails for my boss. Um, and it, it did involve a bit of a, a, bit of a um, pay cut as well. And I just had moments where I was like, Lord, what are you doing? Like, why am I here in this position? Why am I here in this role? Um, and initially, it didn't feel um, very, very fulfilling. Um, but I quickly learned um, the truth of Isaiah 55, which is God's ways are higher. Um, they are so much higher. And my, um, my involvement um, in that role and, and just being obedient to God in that has opened up absolutely endless opportunities in my ministry that I hope have benefited um, others. And so to give you an example, I was able to start this flourish. Um, I, you know, the Lord led me on that path and that was something I was able to do. Um, it also allowed me a bit more space to be involved um, in focusing on female discipleship in my church and leadership and we're, we're starting to see that culture um, grow and change. Um, and God has just broadened and expanded um, my role at Walling as well, which has been a huge blessing and he's done things that there, um, there that I didn't expect that he would do. Um, so I just want to encourage you, if you are facing a cost today or if you are, are tired in that, um, the cost will enrich your discipleship of others. It really will. Um, and so I want to ask you, are there things that are causing you to look back? Is there things in your life that you need to surrender to Jesus, that you need to hand over to him as he leads you and trust him as he leads you on that path? Um, the other invitation I guess we have from Jesus is to extend um, this invitation of come with me to others. And so um, discipleship is, I guess, our spiritual DNA reproduced um, in the lives of others. And I'm sure you would have all heard um, that, that uh, quote before where it says, we want the ceiling of my life to be the floor that others stand on. So we want um, our highest points in our life, we want that just to be the floor that others stand on, that they would go to even greater lengths, that they would reach greater heights. And one of my friends uh, recently, she's not um, a Christian, but she knows I'm really, really passionate about um, this stuff, and she sent me a TED Talk, um, and it was um, done by an Islamic woman who um, is really passionate about amplifying the voices of um, Muslim women. And so what she encourages um, people to do, no matter what faith tradition they are a part of, is to ask this question, how can we invite women to the table? And so she speaks about the importance um, in our organisations, in our churches, in the politics, to have both men and women at the table. And in order for us to see social, religious, economic revival, we need both women and men at the table. And we know that Jesus honoured and welcomed women to the table, didn't he? Um, in the way that he lived. Um, 
I read the other day, and I had never noticed it before, but we picked it up in our, in our Bible study. But in Luke chapter 8, at the very beginning, um, it says that the 12 disciples were with Jesus. And then it says, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. That was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. And these women were supporting Jesus in his ministry and going with him. Jesus was making an incredibly strong statement to society um, by having those women come with him and being around those women. Those women would have already been frowned upon in society. And so he honoured um, the women that he was around. And so we need to be um, encouraging women in our churches, in our organisations, in our families, in our settings, how um, can they come to the table. So, let's get really, really practical. Um, and I guess the question is, what stops us from inviting women to the table? What stops us? I think one of the big things that has certainly been um, part of my journey is confidence. It's like this idea of, like, well, why would anyone want to follow me? What do I have to offer to anyone? Andrew and I, um, every year, go to this uh, retreat with Spirit and Grace. <coughs> Sorry. And they ask us this question, what do you carry? They ask us it every year. And when they first asked me, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I had no idea what they were talking about. Um, and they're like, well, we'll tell you what you carry. And they said, Emma, you carry the compassion of Jesus. They said, Emma, you carry a gentleness. But there's a strength in that gentleness. And the Spirit just started to show me these different characteristics of Jesus that I carry. And that he wanted me to release um, to other people, wherever it was that he had placed me. And for my husband, um, they said to him, you know, you carry a passion for the Holy Spirit. And so Andrew's been on a journey um, owning that and knowing that wherever he goes and whatever setting, that the Lord wants to use him to release a passion for the Holy Spirit. And we actually did this exercise um, with our leaders um, at our youth ministry. And we got everyone to go around in a circle and say what it was that they carried. And it was just wonderful seeing the team affirm um, what each person said. So someone said, oh, I, I think I carry joy. And we're like, yes, when you walk into the room, we just, you, you do, you bring that joy. And another girl said, I think I carry warmth. And we're like, yes, when I'm with you, I feel at home, I feel safe, I feel um, comfortable. And so we need to get good at calling that out in each other. Um, but also owning it for ourselves. Um, and that's not being arrogant. That's not being arrogant. We've got a habit in Australia with the tall poppy syndrome where we just cut each other down if you get too confident. Um, <coughs> and when I, was, um, when I was in Indonesia, um, I had a really funny, interesting conversation with someone. It was an older uh, Baptist man. And he said to me, he's like, Emma, you're quietly spoken. I yes, I am. Yes, I'm quietly spoken. And then he said to me, oh, quietly spoken women will always get overlooked. And I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for that. I, I didn't even really know the guy either. It was the most random comment. And I was like, okay, that's not true. All right, Lord, what do I need to say to replace that? And he reminded me um, of the truth that, um, <coughs> yes, um, I, am, I have a gentleness. But there's a strength in that. And so we will have people um, that say different things to us. 
And we need to be good at replacing that with the truth of what God has said to us. But that involves us being confident in what we carry. I'm just going to grab my bottle of water. I'm losing my voice. Okay, the other thing um, I think uh, that stops us is um, we're really unsure of what to say. Um, we're unsure of, well, what do I say as I journey with people, as I sit with other women? Um, and I'm not going to go into detail with this because we've got a number of workshops on this that are going to help you with the practicalities of that. But there's just three relationships that I think can be helpful for you to reflect on with how you've been supported in this journey. Um, first one, really quickly, who is your Paul? Who is someone further along the journey that you are learning from, that you are growing from? So Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Who is it that you are learning from? Who is your Barnabas? Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. Um, who is someone who you are journeying with, a peer? It might be a friend in your life who God is calling you to go deeper with. So as you have coffee, actually use those coffees um, to intentionally encourage each other um, in your walk of faith. And lastly, who is your Timothy? Who are you discipling? Who is God highlighting for you? And it might be that you know that person who that is and you just need to take that step of faith and invite them in um, on that journey. The last thing I think that stops us um, is time. And we're like, I just don't have time to do this. I'm too busy. And I just want to say, I think our society today is craving deep and authentic relationship. You know, due to the influence of technology and a number of different um, factors, we have a whole generation coming through, the millennials, who I'm one of them, who are unsure how to make deep and meaningful relationships. And so discipleship is about inviting people into our lives, having that long-term committed relationship, and that takes time. That takes time. Um, and so relationship needs to be a priority um, in our life. And so do we need to create marginal space um, in our lives in order um, to have these relationships? So... Um, as I said before, if we want to see these cultures change um, in our churches, in our organisations, then we need to give Jesus everything. We need to give him everything to trust him and let go of those things that are holding us back, to fight the business and value relationship above doing and to say no to Satan when he tries to beat our confidence down and you get silly little comments made to you by uh, men or other people, um, to fight that, not just men, but just to fight that, um, and to be confident in what you carry. Because no matter what your age, you carry the Spirit of God. You carry the Spirit of God. You carry the Spirit of Jesus. And he has things that he wants to use you to release to other people. There is no doubt about that. And so know that Jesus' invitation is there. He wants to use each of us. And so let's be women who do engage in that confident, costly, committed, spirit-led um, discipleship of others. Amen? Amen. Amen.